Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. This is typically our Texans postgame show, but since, oh, this was such a disaster, we're going to keep it to a minimum. The biggest Texans news happened off the field anyway, so we're going to get into that. We'll get into the Rockets trade targets with the latest James Harden news. And joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie, longtime journalist Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, what a depressing day in Houston. It's been pouring down rain since I woke up this morning, <laughs> and the Texans played like they got caught in a monsoon themselves in that first half at Soldier Field. Yeah, either that or they just stayed at the hotel and didn't want to get wet. I'm not sure which, Robert. And yeah, it just this has been a brutal season. And I was thinking the other day, Remember in 1999 when the announcement was made that Houston would be getting an NFL franchise and they would start play in 2002 and how excited everybody was. Well, I remember thinking back then, yeah, but if they don't win, that's going to fade. And, you know, I've I've been through back-to-back 1-13 in seasons from the Oilers in 1972 and 1973. You know, we've had some bad Astros teams, a few bad Rockets teams. But the the Texans, I mean, in in the last 18 years, you've had some good years. You've had some, yeah, kind of sort of good years. But this is just as brutal as it gets. It just seems like when things can't possibly get worse, they get worse. And I didn't mention this last week, but this is something that I'm dealing with. And I know a bunch of people out there like me are dealing with the Texans uh, are on CBS. CBS, if you have UVerse, if you have DirecTV, is having some dispute. T- Tegna, the big corporation, is having dispute. So w- we're not getting Channel 11. I- I'm getting it off the old school antenna. I know some people might be going to the Texans app. You're trying to get it in a different way. But how hard, Stephen, do you really want to look for the Texans when they're this bad? This is a, a killer for Everybody involved, the Texans, CBS, uh, if you're UVerse and DirecTV, hey, wh- why are the people going to turn on Sunday without Texans football to your station? Are they, they going to watch reruns of old movies or, I mean, to your, you know, UVerse or DirecTV, why are they going to turn that on? It's just, I mean, this is another reason why the interest in the Texans is is fading super fast in a season where you can't even root for them to lose for a draft choice. Well, the ratings for last weekend's game, Robert, uh, from what I saw, were the lowest since 2017. I, I think it was it was after Deshaun got hurt and the season was pretty much a goner. Uh, and, and I'm sure that the, the whole dispute had something to do with it. But you're right. I mean, at, at this point, who really cares? Especially when, you know, if you watch it on the Texans app, you're a good minute and a half, two minutes behind. Now, I'm here in Austin, so... The, the KHOU thing doesn't really affect me that much, but I mean, I, we've, we've been through this before here in Austin with some of the local channels. And, you know, it's just another reason that I, I just feel like if, if these companies don't want people to pull the cord or cut the cord, then they need to start learning how to compromise. And this is just a perfect example of it. You know, AT&T Sportsnet or, or you know, I think it, before it was Sportsnet uh, with the whole Comcast thing a few years ago. You know, that was a fiasco, and this isn't any better. You know, like I said, we'll get to the game in a second. Really, the story for the Texans this week was a story in SI about Jack Easterby entitled, and Stephen, this title, this is not a good title. It's the chaplain who won a power struggle and plunged a franchise into chaos. Yeah, and and isn't it ironic, Robert, that Jack Easterby was hired – to be a character coach or a culture coach, whatever label you want to put to it. And you look up, you know, a year and a half or so later, and the Texans culture is even worse now than it was before he used to be got there. So uh, yeah, how did that work out? This piece was no joke. And it wasn't just like a little five paragraph story. It was more like an investigation where they looked through Easterby's entire past. They spoke to players people throughout organizations that he worked with. And Stephen, I got to ask you, did did the craziness of some of what you read surprise you at all? Yeah, it did, Robert. And and, and I have to say, before I get to that, Greg Bishop is a great writer. I I really enjoy his writing. And I believe he was fair 
you know, he talked to people who spoke well of Easterby, especially when he was in, uh, you know, doing some of the college programs like South Carolina. You know, he covered both sides of it, but it was obvious that the slant was certainly toward the negative. I, I think the biggest thing that jumped out at me, Robert, as it probably did to a lot of people, was, you know, just the allegations of players being surveilled off the premises. And while it wasn't written as, you know, per se, that it was DeAndre Hopkins as one of those players, you've got to wonder, because as much as, you know, we have blasted Bill O'Brien for the DeAndre Hopkins trade, and rightfully so, I I haven't changed my position on that. O'Brien certainly needs to take a share of the responsibility for it. But did we know that Easterby was also the mastermind behind that and the way he acted toward DeAndre Hopkins, it kind of makes you wonder if he was one of those players that was being surveilled so that Jack could get the goods on him, whatever he was looking for, to get him out of town and convince O'Brien to trade him. If somebody's going to talk, it's going to be DeAndre Hopkins because he's got nothing to lose. You would think maybe he would get quoted. He didn't get quoted in this story, but you know they said there were Texans players who thought Easterby wanted them out so much he had them follow during their personal life. One player was convinced that he paid a friend to watch the dark sedan. Uh, he says he saw frequently parked outside his house. He, he literally paid somebody else to keep an eye on Easterby, maybe keeping an eye on him. He logged license plates of unfamiliar cars. Two other members of the organization say they spoke to you know this and also thought this is what was going on. I mean, this is not just one person saying this, Stephen. This is multiple people believing that Easterby had them followed. Yeah, there there were several, and Bishop probably spoke to at least 40 people. And I don't know, you know, there, some of it could have been with Hopkins, and who knows. You know, when, when Easterby would plaster these cards on the players' lockers with these motivational quotes, you know, who's to say that some of those guys, you know, probably took them off or, you know, made disparaging comments about it, wasn't buying into all that. You know, that could have had something to do with it. But no matter which way you slice it, this this is about as nasty as it gets toward a guy who, Robert, I mean, this guy's not even, he's not even a full general manager. I mean, his title, I guess, right now is interim GM. How does this guy get that kind of power? Yeah, he's in the front office, sure, but certainly not in the kind of power that he should be having with the kind of influence that Easterby apparently got. And now because of this article... He's getting more publicity as an interim general manager than some of the players <laughs> and the the search that the Texans are having for a coach and general manager. He has stolen the headlines this week, bar none. Yeah, I mean, the craziness in this article, I mean, <laughs> this was deep in the article, but he told employees they couldn't wear sunglasses during games unless the team was playing outdoors and, and there was discernible sun he wanted to look them in the eyes. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I just wonder, you know, can, has he has he looked anybody in the eyes since this article came out? Have you noticed? Do you hear the, the loud noise called silence from Jack Easterby after this article has come out? He hasn't said a single word about it. And I'm sure we'll get to this, Robert. I'm sure you want to talk about this. But, you know, my whole question is, once again... Doesn't this stop with the owner? How how has Cal McNair allowed this guy to get so much power in the first place? I don't care if Bill O'Brien's the coach or who, who the coach is and what kind of influence he has. To me, it still stops with Cal McNair as to letting this thing. And, and no matter how much Cal knew, he has to have known something was going on. I mean, and the team has been in shambles for a long time. That's no secret. So how much of this blame can we point at Cal McNair for all of this stuff? being allowed to happen in the first place. Oh, I mean, if you don't know it's Cal McNair is the biggest problem at this point. I mean, if you don't know it's the ownership with the Texans, it's the biggest problem. I don't know what you've been watching. And exactly. I, I want to hit on a couple of things involving the piece. Uh, one of the most important and damning parts of the piece, and this is just, it stuck out like a sore thumb. It said he oversaw salary cap management. I mean, without any experience, he oversaw Salary cap management. What? Well, and yeah, of course, you know, they fired Chris Olson and, and some of those other guys who were working with that sort of thing. And then you put this guy in here who has no experience with that. He has no experience with player personnel as far as decisions go. Okay, so he was, you know, character management and, and, and a chaplain. But 
that doesn't qualify him to work for an NFL team in that capacity. But that just goes back to why I said, why, why was this guy allowed to get so much power for knowing so little about those types of operations? I mean, you talk about, you know what he reminds me of, Robert? He reminds me of a, a, a salesman who obviously knows how to talk his way into or out of anything because this guy has certainly done a sales job on the Texans ownership to get to where he's been for all this to happen in the first place. Yeah. I mean, he sidled up in the article. Let's say he sidled up to McNair and practices and, and away from everybody else. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious everything that he was doing when you watch it all play out, he was the one who pushed for the Deandre Hopkins trade, not Bill O'Brien. According to this piece, think about this, Stephen, maybe that was his way of getting O'Brien fired is okay. Hey, let's get Deandre Hopkins out here. If O'Brien gets fired, then I'm in charge. And and here is the part to me that is just incredible palace intrigue. Uh, the piece intimates that Easterby might have purposely undermined the Texans' pursuit of Casario by publicly speaking to him at that Patriots Christmas party that we all know about. And maybe knowing that the Patriots would immediately file a tampering charge, the Texans would back down and that would inevitably lead to more Easterby power. I mean, look at that, Stephen. Think about that for a second. How devious was this guy? If that, you know, they're, they're intimating it in the article. And when you start thinking about it, you're like, why else would he have done that right in front of Belichick's face other than he was trying to basically blow the whole thing up and put the onus on McNair to hire O'Brien as the general manager because he knew if O'Brien was at the general was the general manager, he, he could bust the whole thing open. Well, at this point, nothing's off the table, Robert. I mean, all bets are off. And you know what? Even if he didn't do it on purpose, it was still the wrong thing to do. It was certainly bad timing. But this is what manipulative people do. And let me tell you, you know, as a radio broadcaster for over 30 years and I was in management, I worked with plenty of different types of people and, and I can see those manipulative people from miles away. And, and what's scary about it, Robert, is that they do a lot of it behind the scenes. They do a lot of it quietly. It's, you know, with the old thing of watch your back before you get stabbed, you know, by the time you turn around, the knife's already in your back. You don't know a lot of what's going on until it's too late. That's what those kind of guys can do. So, yeah, it, it is not far-fetched to think any of those things. And and even if a lot of this article, even, even if some of this article is true, it, or is not true, I should say, it's extremely damaging. And it just makes the Texans, do you think they were already the laughing stock before this article came out? Well, everybody's going to be laughing till their sides split at this point. Yeah, and the big question I've got for you is, and this is the good news about this article is this the end of Jack Easterby? I mean, at this point, if you're Cal McNair and an article like this comes out and your entire organization is tainted, and by the way, let's throw this in here. In the weeks right after the COVID shutdown, groups of Texans players went to the head strength and conditioning coach's house, according to this story, according to their sources. They spoke to three people who believed these workouts couldn't have happened without Easterby's approval. This went on until June and it was finally shut down when a bunch of players tested positive. I mean, this is a thing where if you're the NFL and Roger Goodell, you can't like this going on. This is against the rules of what was going on in society with the NFL. So with all of that said, and with everything in this piece, Stephen, I mean, the good news if you're a Texans fan is that this all comes out now because maybe you can get rid of Easterby. Maybe this is the nail in the coffin for him going into the hiring of a, a new general manager and a new coach this offseason. Well, let me just say this, Robert. That if, if, if Jack Easterby is still with the Texans after this season is over, and, and you know what? I've never said this before. I don't think I have ever said this, said this as a Houston sports fan. If Jack Easterby, if, if they don't get rid of Jack Easterby, Texans fans might as well just look for another team to cheer for because this is not going to go away. He, he, they have to get rid of him. They absolutely have to. And I don't care. I don't care if that article is only, you know, 75% true. There, there's got to be, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's just too many things coming out 
from too many different people. I can't believe that many people hate Jack Easterby so much that they're just going to come out and, and say things against him that aren't true. They're just too much of it. And, you know, the scary thing for me is that Cal McNair has just not shown any type of aggressiveness that an owner needs to to take control of his team. You know, you may wonder, well, why is Jack Easterby even still with the team right now, several days after this article's come out? I guess you could use the excuse, well, the season's almost over. Might as well wait till the end of it. But why? I mean, what's the point? What is this guy really doing that you have to have a, an interim general manager? You know, Jamie Roots is there. They, they're, they're having a search committee anyway. So, uh, you know, I, to answer your question, Robert, it, he's got to be gone. Whether it's now, next week, it's got to be soon. Forget the fans for a second. If you're an owner with other t- another team, yeah, if you're the owner in, in, in a division or AFC, yeah, you want to beat the Texans or whatever. But at some point, you got to go, hey, you know, there's no way that I want this guy being part of the NFL because he's leading that team into breaking rules, this surveillance stuff on players. I mean, that's a players association thing. Maybe that comes into play here. But, I mean, there's just so much of this stuff where it's like, I don't know what else you, you can show before this guy gets fired. And, and this is an article that, you know, any potential new GM is going to go to Cal McNair and is like, look, read this. What, why would I want to come work for your organization? Well, that's another thing to consider. And you said that that's another reason Jack Easterby needs to be gone before any candidates even start coming in there to be interviewed. Because what candidate worth their salt isn't going to say, well, you know, if, if this guy's going to be here, what is his role going to be? You know, why, why do I want to come here with this? And getting back to what you said about the other owners, they should be concerned because if the Texans aren't going to get punished for any of this, don't you know some of those owners are going to be screaming if they get caught? How do you think the Patriots would feel if the Texans get off because they broke some rules? <laughs> and the, you know, and the NFL has investigated the Patriots for this and that and other teams that might have even broken some COVID rules. You know, if if the Texans don't even get their hand slapped or just barely, then yeah, the other owners should be pissed if this is allowed to go on. I mean, think about it. This could set off another investigation into the Texans because we've seen so many investigations around the NFL regarding COVID breaking of rules. And if it if this sets off another investigation and they lose yet more draft choices coming into this draft, I mean, at, at some point, if you're Cal McNair, you you know, you, how can you not be a laughing stock among your friends? And here's another thing: in a statement given to SI by the te- Texans. Cal McNair said he believes Easterby did, quote, a great job picking up GM responsibilities in addition to his other duties, but that he wants to make it clear that Jack is not on our internal search committee for the next GM or head coach. However, I value Jack's, uh, I guess, opinion. And if he's his firsthand knowledge about a specific candidate, I will ask for his observation and feedback, which, again, it sounds ridiculous right after that statement, though. McNair sent out word that he'll get help in the GM search. And you mentioned the search committee. It's Tony Dungy, Jimmy Johnson, Andre Johnson, Spurs owner R.C. Buford, former Arizona Cardinals GM Rod Graves. Now, Tony Dungy, though, tells Dan Patrick that McNair called him, but he's not on the search committee. So if McNair made that up, then he might have just made the whole rest of it up. I mean, this is to the point where I think McNair is panicking a little bit because he's trying to separate Easterby and some of his quotes. But at the same time, people are going, what is McNair doing here? The, the, this kind of total incompetent, at some point, somebody's got to step in. I don't know who. Somebody has to step in and say, Cal, you look like a complete joke. Well, the only person that could do that, Robert, is somebody that he would listen to. Because, I mean, when you're the owner of the team, you know, no, nobody's going to tell Jerry Jones what to do when, as long as he's owning the Cowboys unless it is somebody that – can really twist his arm and somebody he really would pay attention to. And, you know, this, and, and I heard the clip of Tony Dungy on the Dan Patrick show. And I mean, he immediately, Dan didn't even get the sentence out of his mouth of, are you on a committee that's helping the Texans before he stopped them and said, all I got was a phone call and I agreed to help them, but I'm not on any committee. So you mean the, the Texans, they can't even get this search committee thing right or the, the communication can't even be right with 
you know, is there a search committee? Is there not a search committee? Have these names just been called? They can't even get this right, Robert. And that that just boggles my mind that everything the Texans touch, unlike King Midas, uh, it's not turning to gold at all. Easterby makes $3 million a year. <laughs> Is that unreal? Well, just add him to the list of guys that are being paid way too much money to do a job that they're obviously not doing. I mean, we can go down the list of Texans players because we already have. So now you've got to just throw in a, a front office executive. Same thing. He's making all this money and not only is he not doing his job correctly, but he's taking the team down with him into the tank. Yeah, I I, I, I asked you, do you think this is it for Easterby? I, I'm sorry, I, I think this has got to be it. I mean, I don't know if it happens in the next few days or not. We're, we're going to see. I mean, following this disaster on Sunday, you know, does Cal McNair, who's at the Bears game, we saw shots of him at the Bears game up in a box, at what point does this guy go, okay, you know, I am now officially a joke. They say I'm not running this franchise. They say there's some guy that has no knowledge of football running this whole show, and he's breaking rules. He's forcing trades of our be- our best player, um, well, our best player outside of Deshaun, I guess, with DeAndre. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just think this is... This is it. This has got to be it. It's got to be it. Yeah, it, absolutely. Absolutely, it has to be. And, you know, I guess, Robert, there is hope. You know, he, he finally did fire Bill O'Brien after an 0-4 start. So if, if this bear shellacking is what it takes to get him to take the next step, then <laughs> then so be it. But, yeah, it absolutely has to happen. If the guy is that clueless, I, honestly, if, if you're a Texans fan, you got to pray for him to sell the team. Don't you? Yeah, I mean, if this guy's going to continue to run the team this way, as as grateful as we all are, I'm going back to that 1999 announcement that Bob McNair, you know, stepped up and brought a football team back to Houston. That's great. You know, we'll never forget it. But if his son is going to run the team into the ground the way he has to this point, here, if I'm a Texans fan, I'm praying that he just sells the team because he's just done with it. He doesn't want to deal with it anymore. I don't know. I, I just don't see it happening. People just don't sell... NFL franchises, they just don't. No, they don't, especially if the money's coming in. And, and, and if that's the thing, is if, if all he cares about is the money and his image doesn't matter, then we have even more reason to be scared because it's not going away anytime soon. But it has to, Robert. I, I just can't see Easterby being with this team by the time the new GM and the new coach get here. If I'm Cal McNair, trust me, I'd never be Cal McNair because I'm not that dumb. But I would find somebody that knows something about football, do some research, do some homework, act like a guy that cares about your NFL team, you know, put some energy into it. Uh, you know, I, I guess, Stephen, sometimes it's just, I, I guess if you, you, you born with a silver spoon in your mouth and you were born on third and you got a triple, you thought, but instead, no, you were born on third, then I, 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 I guess you've never had to do homework. You've never had to try and and that's where I see Cal McNair at this point. Well, here's the problem, Robert. If, if Tony Dungy reportedly told Cal McNair that he's not going to just give him a list of names of people that he thinks would be good for the job, because there are probably about 50 people on that list, he'd like to hire them all. What he asked Cal McNair is, give me a blueprint of what you want. Well, Robert, the problem with that is, what, what if Cal McNair doesn't know what he wants? What if he needs somebody to guide him, at, at least in the direction of the type of coach that he wants, the, the type of general manager that he needs? Maybe it's it's more about need than want. If, if Cal McNair doesn't even know what he wants, or if he has a list in mind that's totally off base, then there's really no – that's not helping at all. I mean, you can have all the search committees in the world, but ultimately you've got to make the final decision. And if Cal McNair is not capable – of making that final decision or even having a blueprint of knowing what he wants, either because he doesn't know enough about football or he's too insecure to make those decisions, then it's really not going to matter who you've got as your search committee or who you ask for advice. Because at the end of the day, if you're making that final decision, you're going back to what's comfortable for you. That's not going to bode well for the Texans. Yeah. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You, you and I are on the same page. The listeners all know how screwed up this is. I, I just, I'm trying to 
figure out a way how you talk your way out of this mess. But, you know, as far as the game goes, I mean, it, it feels like it's Deshaun Watson is walking out there by himself every week. There was no David Johnson who was out with COVID. Brandon Cook's out with an injury. Randall Cobb done for the season, more or less. Fuller suspended. Kenny Stills was cut. He was down to Duke Johnson, Kiki Cutie, who was that this close to getting cut. Remember back in the OB days, Chad Hansen, some guy that they pulled off the scrap heap, and Stephen Mitchell. So you basically have nothing, and the offensive line looks like nothing. I mean, Tunsil getting penalties, Titus Howard getting penalties. The interior of that offensive line is a joke. This defense, I don't know where you start, but you look at the defense, first play from scrimmage, 80-yard touchdown run. Second drive, 12 plays, 79 yards for a touchdown. They get a three and out in two of the first drives. Eric Murray, who's been terrible and a waste of money, he did get a sack that ended a drive after the Duke Johnson fumble. So maybe it looked like they were going to be in the game, but Steven, then after that, then the, the fifth drive was a, you know, Trubisky to Mooney for a 12-yard touchdown, 68-yard drive, 77-yard drive, Trubisky to Robinson for a touchdown pass. Then they get the field goal in the second half. And it's 33-7, game's over with. I mean, it's it's Deshaun. He's by himself. Yeah, and I don't care how magical the quarterback is. You know, he, he can't do it by himself. It's it's what you put around him that, that makes the difference. You know, and, you know, when, when the Texans started out the season after the DeAndre Hopkins trade, you had Brandon Cooks, you had Randall Cobb, you had Will Fuller, and today none of those guys are in there for different reasons. Oh, and Kenny Stills, you got to throw him in there. So you had... The, those were your top four receivers, Robert, coming into this season. All four of them are out. You know, Kenny Stills is gone, of course. Will Fuller is, is on suspension. And Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks are injured. So, you know, that you're going with the likes of Stevie Mitchell and Hanson. Yeah. Hanson. I mentioned some of those guys off the top, and you got to throw their names in there because everybody has got to remember that's what Deshaun has got at this point, and, and it's not much. I mean, was there anything else about this game? That Well, I, I mean, I, I certainly think Buddy Howell needs to get a better look, and what what kind of surprised me in the third quarter is, yeah, the, the only thing about the drive I didn't like is that how many handoffs you had to Buddy Howell. I mean, he was getting yardage, certainly, but uh, I think you've got to at least give him a better look. I mean, why not? And I don't know, Robert. I mean, at this point, how much do you let Deshaun play if things are going to continue to get this bad? You know, how— how many times did your heart stop in your throat when he came off the field? I mean, is it really worth continuing to let Deshaun play? I know, it, you know, if, if Deshaun's not playing, the Texans aren't going to be worth watching. I get it. But if, if it's the health of your quarterback and the future of your quarterback that you're worried about, you know, at what point do you pull the plug and at least not play him as much, especially if, if the Texans are going to be down so much as they were in this game, pull the guy and put McCarron in there. Why not? Yeah, that, that is a serious conversation that the Texans are going to have to have internally. But who's having that conversation? I mean, why does Romeo care at this point? Why does Tim Kelly? Tim Kelly wants to prove himself. So that's what kind of mess that you're dealing with. You know, if I'm the Texans, you know, you play Deshaun because you want to get the reps. You want to play some of these guys to show what you've got in some of them. I mean, Max Sharping, let's see what he has. Let's get him some reps. Or cut him because he's a second round pick. I mean, he's already a bust, I guess. Well, yeah, this whole line has been a disappointment. And so it's almost like you can insert whatever name you want. You're about you're gonna get the same results. So yeah, why not? Just put the guy in there, let him see what he can do, and and then do that with some of these other people. Of course, unfortunately, you know, with injuries, it it's been brought about that some of these younger guys are having to come in because of the injuries. But even in situations where you may have some depth or you may not have those kind of injuries. Might as well start playing some guys. I mean, the season is for all intents and purposes over. So why not? Yeah. I, I don't have much else to say. I mean, really the big thing is Deshaun because if Deshaun doesn't play, nobody has a reason to watch, but right. if Deshaun does play and he gets hurt, who's going to take a job with the, te I mean, I don't know who wants a job with the Texans as is because they've got no draft choices. They've got, Two years of bad salaries that you have to wait out, uh, dumb contracts by, let's call it who did it, which is apparently Jack Easterby. And you also have not much on the field or potential for the future. I mean, so many of these guys that you drafted have looked like total bust or there's nothing to them. 
So if Deshaun gets hurt at the end of the season and it's like, oh, Deshaun might be questionable coming into next year, or now he's a banged up quarterback with a couple of injuries in his first few years as an NFL quarterback, you're not going to get anybody decent to take a head coaching job or a GM job. I don't know if you are anyway. I mean, number one, you got to get rid of Easterby and you got to say to the GM that's coming in, you're getting all the responsibility. You're the guy. That's the only way is get rid of Easterby and and make sure that that GM knows that he's gone and, and you're in total control. Well, I think what, what has to happen, Robert, and I think this is the order of things, the GM has got to be in there first because if if, if the GM comes in there, then more than likely that's what's going to start the whole culture change of the Texans, especially, you know, you get rid of Easterby, you get a new GM in, they bring in the people that they believe can do the job that they can influence to come here. I think that's where it starts. It starts with the GM. If you get a GM that, that gets it right and at least starts, you know, dealing with the culture and making some changes the way James Click is doing with the Astros, I think that's where you start. And, and that's where, you know, the the positive reinforcement, you, you start maybe having some hope. But if not, you know, I, I think that's really about the only way. And, and you keep Deshaun, obviously. You have a healthy Deshaun Watson. I think that's enough reason for a coach that is worth his salt. Whether it's a young guy or an established guy that can still do something, can come in here and just start turning things around. But more than likely, it's not going to happen overnight. And Romeo... Your legacy might be if you leave out Deshaun and blowouts like you did in the fourth quarter in this Bears game, your legacy might be, hey, you were the guy that ruined Deshaun Watson's career because you didn't know when to take him out. And and that's that's a decision Romeo is going to have to live with. So, you know, some of these guys, they can say, well, I don't have any responsibility because I'm gone or I'm retired. But your legacy is at stake as a as a person in the NFL and 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 that's a big deal to me. I mean, I I think you got to protect Deshaun and get him out of these games in the fourth quarter when the team's out of it. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't play Deshaun for the rest of the season. I I don't mean that at all. But when yeah, it, if if it's obvious that the game is out of reach, there's just no sense. But but it's amazing how many NFL teams don't do that, and you're just playing with fire. And that's right. Yeah, all the people are going to forget all those good years of Romeo defenses. <laughs> If that happens to Deshaun and, you know, whether these guys admit it or not, I think they do care about the legacy they leave behind. Or if they don't now, they certainly will when they look back on their career and it's over. Let's go to the Rockets uh, because it's been another interesting week for them. James Harden added to the Harden added to the list of teams he's willing to be traded to. He added Milwaukee, Miami to the Sixers and the Nets that were already on that list. That's nice of him. Uh, Steven, we know Giannis and Harden, they're not buddies, to say it nicely. And the Bucks gave away just about every one of their first-round picks to get Drew Holiday. But I, I would take Chris Middleton, even without the picks, over anything the Nets have to offer. Maybe I'd take him over Ben Simmons when you throw all the factors in. If you want to weigh in his contract, his health, his shooting, his postseason clutch ability, which if you look at the numbers, uh, look at his numbers compare those to James Harden. We know Harden shooting goes down in the postseason. For his career, Middleton has shot 42% from three in the postseason compared to 39.2 during the regular season. I was very impressed at his attempt to carry the Bucks a few months ago when Giannis went down. Oh, absolutely. Now, if if you're the Rockets, you absolutely want to make that deal. But if you're the Bucks, you you want to be probably smart and maybe not make that deal, especially with what you just said, is if they're trying to get over the hump in the playoffs, do you want a James Harden there to help Giannis get there? I, I don't think so. But yeah, Chris Middleton, a very good looking player. Oh, if I were the Rockets, I would do that deal in a heartbeat. I wouldn't care about the draft picks. It, it, you know, do a one a straight up. That's probably not how it's going to work. It usually doesn't these days. But oh yeah, I would absolutely take Chris Middleton. And at this point, you know, I think it's just a matter of time. But again, the Rockets have the leverage. You know, Harden's not playing. And you can't go by one preseason game of how well things looked. But honestly, even if if the Rockets can play a, a fairly decent game going into the regular season without Harden, then who's really going to miss them? You know, the Rockets could just take their heels in and take their time and make the trade that they want to make. Uh, I don't know if it's it's that simple because once James Harden goes – I mean, you're, this idea that you're in the playoffs every year as an automatic. I mean, you could say it's real easy for us to say because we, we look at all the James Harden's warts 
it's easy for us to say, oh, if I'm the Bucks, I wouldn't make that deal. But the Bucks right now have got a gun to their head from Giannis. We're talking about James Harden, who's a top four MVP candidate every year. Chris Middleton is not considered a top 10 player by any stretch of the imagination. You know, can you say that Middleton has helped them go places in the playoffs? I don't know. They haven't gone anywhere in the playoffs. They haven't had much success there. So I don't know if you could say, well, uh, he's a better clutch player, so we're going to keep him as compared to James Harden. However, Stephen, I mean, if you're the Rockets, I think you know the gun is to your head and you're probably going to have to trade him. So that might be the guy that, that you want in that deal. Now, like I said, I don't think it's going to happen because of those first-round picks. And I, I right. got a question for you, right. Stephen. Are you ready? Are you listening to what I'm about to say very closely? <laughs> okay, I'm sitting down. I, I'm glued to the microphone. Go ahead. All right, here's your deal. You got the four best guys that could potentially be available for the four teams that Harden mentioned. They're Karis LeVert, Ben Simmons, Chris Middleton, and Tyler Hero. Now, Stephen, let's pre- let's pretend all four guys in a Harden package are, are the guys that you would have the choice between to come back to Houston. Which one of those four would you choose? And before you, I, I give you that question, keep in mind somebody like Tyler Hero. He's on a rookie contract. Lavert is signed for the next three years for an average of $17 million a year. Pretty cheap. Simmons making an average of $35 million a, a year over the next five years. Middleton, it's about the same amount over the next four years. So the Simmons and Middleton contracts, pretty even. But considering age and everything, what do you think? I, I still would say either Hero or Middleton. I mean, I just, I, I'm not totally sold on Ben Simmons, and he does have an injury history, but those would be the two that I would say one and two uh, at, at this point, and the other two kind of trailing in behind. Yeah, I love Hero, and I, I, I would probably take him number one because I think you're going to, you could get yeah. some other things with that package. You could, you're going to get some first round picks that are going to help you out. Maybe you can pry somebody like Kendrick Nunn or Duncan Robinson out of there. If I'm Miami, I don't know if I'm giving up Duncan Robinson because he's an incredible three-point shooter and you want some three-point shooting since you have, you would have Harden and Jimmy Butler um, on your team that, um, and, and Butler's not going to be shooting threes and, you know, Bam can't shoot threes, so you, you need some space. So I don't know if they would give up Duncan Robinson, but maybe you get a Kendrick Nunn, a, a backup point guard for John Wall. Um, but I, I love Tyler Hero so much. Three-point shooting is so valuable. You know, yep. he's potentially maybe slightly different, but he, he he could be like a Ray Allen down the road. You know, he's a, he's a rookie this past year, and he was fantastic in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean you can't beat a young player like that. So yeah, I would I would put him one. I'd still probably put Middleton two. Yeah, I don't know. I'd I'd still probably put Simmons three and then Levert after that. But uh yeah, Hero would definitely be an intriguing one to look at. You know, not just for the money's sake, but just the, the, such a talented player. He's so young. I mean I mean, gosh, I yeah, I I would have a hard time turning that down. Yeah, no interest in Karis Levert. I mean, yeah, cheap contract, but not really. I don't think no. he's got the potential. Um, so I don't know. The other thing I was going to bring up, a couple of things. The NBA just released the first half of the team's schedules in the last couple of weeks. And, Stephen, I don't think we've discussed the Rocket schedule after it originally came out. But there are a couple of things worth noting because of the Connect schedule. You'll notice that they play just about every other day. And when they don't play every other day, it's because of a back-to-back. In other words, the Rockets will play Every other day on average, why does that matter, Stephen? Any guesses? Well, it, it's certainly going to matter if you're John Wall and, De- and DeMarcus Cousins because, yep. you know, that they're health concerns. And, you know, that I mean, that'd be the biggest thing for me. Yeah, I mean, you got it. You nailed it. That's bingo. That's number one. Just in the last two years, Boogie has had not just the torn Achilles, a quad injury, a torn ACL before Wall's torn Achilles, he had other knee issues the previous year. You, you got to wonder how both players will handle a super compressed season without any major rest and how the Rockets training staff is going to handle them because we haven't heard many details on that. And with Boogie, you can easily limit him because you've got Christian Wood. But with Wall, Steven, I assume he's getting close to 30 minutes a game, maybe more than that. I don't know. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. With with him, you're, you're probably going to have to see more. And then you've got to throw Eric Gordon in the mix with all his injury concerns. And P.J. Tucker's not getting any younger. So the, the health risk to all of those players, I'd say, is going to be the biggest key to what kind of season the Rockets have with that condensed schedule. The number two part of this and why it matters, this really condensed schedule, is the NBA's COVID rules say that if you test positive, you're out 10 days before you can even start practicing. They then must spend two days working out by themselves, not participating with the team. That means that one positive test, and if my math is right, you're going to miss six to seven games minimum. Well, sure, especially if you're going to be playing every other day. That's a lot of games you're missing. I, I think you know the, the 10 days, it, it, I believe, is in line with what the current or the, the new CDC regulations coming out. But then you add those extra days in there. Oh, yeah, you've got to be talking at least half a dozen games. And it's like It's like missing all those games with an injury, basically. So, yeah, this is going to be really difficult for Rockets team that's rebuilding themselves on the fly. You've got all these major injuries, and we're talking about a condensed season where you're not going to get maybe the practice time that you might want if you're uh, Steven Silas. You know, he's he's running a new offense. Now, you know, the reports came back after that first game, and from everything that I know and saw, you know, it was like, well – this looks totally different. The team's moving a little bit more. They're passing the ball a little bit more with, you know, without uh, James Harden, just dribble, dribble, dribble. Now, if you get James Harden back, are they still going to be able to do that? But, you know, maybe he can redo everything else on the fly, but the, the injuries and the COVID thing, that's something that really concerns you. And, you know, we've seen where James Harden's been hanging out, which clubs that he's been going to. <laughs> and if anybody can bring in a, a mess of COVID worries, it's it's James Harden's social life. Well, that's absolutely true. And I guess that that's why I was relieved that they didn't just throw him back in there. I mean, they couldn't, obviously. You know, he, he had to go through the all the protocols of all the testing before he could even be around these guys. So that's just what's going to have to happen. And, yeah, I know one preseason game isn't really going to tell. I mean, they look great, but I did like how the offense was balanced and how they spread it out. And, I, I mean, a lot of what you saw is what you saw when Silas was handling the Mavericks and a lot of the offense that they were doing. So you can only hope that it just gets more consistent. The guys, you know, obviously need time to gel, you know, to play well with each other. So you're going to see that, you know, some inconsistencies are probably going to flare up especially when the regular season comes. Unfortunately, in a uh, compressed schedule, you're not going to have as much time, you know, kind of like the start of the Major League Baseball season. You don't have a lot of time for prolonged slumps, especially in the Western Conference, when it's, it's probably going to be as wide open as it's ever been. No real Astros, but in college football, there's some stuff that happened this weekend. We could talk about the Houston Cougars coming back from three touchdowns in the fourth quarter only to lose to Memphis on a last second field goal. I don't want to talk about that. We could also talk about Tom Herman's job security, but that's kind of boring. You know what, Steven, I'd rather talk to you about coaching legend, Fred Akers with the Longhorns who passed away this week, because I know you covered him back in the day, right? I did Robert. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I'll tell you what, um, I, as most you may not know, I live in Austin and I've lived here since the early eighties. And in 1985, I covered the UT football team for a small station in San Antonio. It was kind of the <laughs> the laughable competitor to uh, WOAI, the big station there. And I got a chance to know Freddie really well. And I, I have to say, what, what a gracious guy. He, I, I don't remember him ever turning me down for an interview. Fred was, uh, you know, he was a folksy kind of guy. And, you know, as coaches go... He was pretty forthcoming. I mean, obviously, he didn't tell me everything, and, and, you know, no coach does. But compared to some of the coaches nowadays, both college and professional, he was as forthcoming as as I think you can get. And, you know, the interesting thing about Fred Akers, he took over after Daryl Royal retired. He took over in the 1977 season, which was Earl Campbell's final season. The Longhorns went 11-0, and were in a position to win the national championship, but then they got to the Cotton Bowl and got whooped by Notre Dame. I, I want to say the score was uh, 31 to 10 or something like that. But, you know, that was Earl Campbell's last season. Of course, if you're a Houston fan, you know what happened next. He won the Heisman Trophy, and then he was drafted by the Oilers. 
But you know what's interesting, Robert, is that when Daryl Royal retired, it, it, you know he had a lot of clout, but I guess he didn't have enough to pick his replacement because Daryl Royal did not want Fred Akers to take his position. He wanted it to go to his longtime assistant, Mike Campbell, but obviously the, the school felt otherwise. They put Fred Akers in, and he coached for 10 years, which <laughs> you think about that nowadays, man, that's a long time for a UT football coach, especially when you're seeing how uh, Tom Herman's job is is so much in jeopardy. Fred coached him for 10 years. First few years were pretty good. The year I covered him was his next to last year, and they went 8-3, and three, and I want to say they – I believe it was the Blue Bonnet Bowl that they went to and uh, lost to Air Force. And, you know, the, even then, the school was not happy. They they were wanting to see Fred Akers gone, and he did make some changes in his coaching staff for the following year. But things continued to go downhill, and then he was fired. But, yeah, I just have so many great memories of Fred Akers. And it, it, you talk about having the time of your life covering the team. That was my first sports reporter job in radio. So, that's something I just you, you can't possibly forget. Yeah, Herman just the other day got the dreaded what, what, what's it called the uh, when they, when they tell you how much they like you just before they fire you. <laughs> well, the the kiss of death, basically the the kiss of death vote of confidence. <laughs> you know, I, I think when Chris Del Conte was asked if Herman was going to be back, his answer was maybe a half sentence. He devoted most of that statement to the to the players coming back. You know, the recruits that are coming in. Very little was said about Tom Herman, which I think is glaring in its own right. So, yeah, not only did we lose Fred Akers, but we lost a former pro baseball player who never quite made it to the big leagues and a baseball scout for the Angels and the Mariners. And you're like going, what? Why should we care about those two guys? Well, it's because neither of them were known for those two accomplishments. The baseball scout was actor David Lander, best known for his work in Laverne and Shirley. You and I are old enough to remember that show, Stephen. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. Sandy Williams, Benny Marshall, yeah, can't forget them. And if you grew up enjoying the comic genius of Lenny and Squiggly, Squiggy, then you loved Lander as Squiggy. They were sort of the prelude to Dumb and Dumber, you know, if you look at That's it. That's right. That's true. That's true. Uh, the former baseball player I'm referring to hits a little bit closer to Stephen's heart because he also happened to be a hell of a country singer, and a Houston rodeo legend. We lost Charlie Pride at age 86. And Stephen, I know you were a huge fan of his. I, I really was. And I know you saw him a lot at the Houston rodeo. I, I think I had left Houston by that time, Robert. But I, I tell you, that there are just very few singers where I can say it is very difficult to pick what my favorite song would be from them because so many of them were so good. Well, that's what I could say about Charlie Pride. I mean, if you ask me to just nail one song that I would say is my all-time favorite from Charlie Pride. It would be difficult. And Charlie loved baseball. You know, of course, he, he went to the Rangers spring training for many years and got to, got to play with them. And just, you know, so much that he had to go up against being black and trying to be a country star. And he overcame all that and then some. And so, yeah, very saddened to hear. Uh, really shocked, actually. Apparently, he died from COVID-related complications. So RIP to Charlie Pride. Yeah, you said it. He was a big Rangers fan. He was also a part owner. Is it is it okay if we mourn a, a former Rangers fan and a part owner? <laughs> well, I guess if it if it wasn't his, you know, true identity, yeah, I guess we'll let it slide this time. Yeah, and you said it when I was a kid, he went uh, we went to the rodeo. Basically, it seemed like every year and every year we saw Charlie Pride there, and it probably wasn't my imagination because he performed in the Astrodome every year from 1972 to 1987. I was going to say, he did it a lot, didn't he? Yeah. And, uh, you know, how prolific was he on the Billboard charts? 52 songs in the top 10 and 30, count them, 30 number one hits. Yeah. And like I said, his his connection to sports on Twitter, I saw sports stars like John Daly, Dave Winfield, Eli Manning pay tribute to him and you know, that's why I bring it because a lot of people are like, why are you talking about Charlie Pride? Well, you know, Houston Rodeo, uh, sports fan, former Rangers owner, former baseball player. I mean, there's all those connections. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I read Ronnie Millsap's book and Ronnie Millsap was very impressed by Charlie Pride. He, Charlie Pride was one of the first people that Ronnie met when he started making it big in country. And he was just impressed of how professional Charlie was, the way he ran his shows, very professional, very into his fans. 
and obviously a big sports fan, as you said, and you love baseball. I, I mean, how many, even celebrities, no, no matter what field they're in, how many of them get to go to spring training with a baseball team every year and get to swing a bat with the guys? I mean, <laughs> you know, you and I probably never be lucky enough to do that, Robert. We're not even famous, except the, for those that listen to our podcast. But just think of the celebrities that would probably love to do that. Yeah, and if people don't know about his baseball career, like I said, he never got to the big leagues. But in 52, he pitched for the Memphis Red Sox of the Negro League. In 53, signed with the Boise Yankees, the Class C farm team for the Yankees. He bounced around in the minors and the Negro Leagues over the years. But you got to love this story. And I don't know if you know this one, Stephen, but when he was playing with the Louisville Clippers, Pride and a guy named Jesse Mitchell were traded to the Birmingham Black Barons for a team bus. Uh, Pride, one, Pride <laughs> oh, once said, uh, Jesse and I may have the distinction of being the only players in history be tr- to be traded for a used motor vehicle. Yeah, I had not heard that story, Robert, but I guess, it, you know, if you're Charlie Pride, years later, you end up making, you know, a hundred times more than that bus probably cost. I, I guess you can afford to laugh about it at some point. You know, it's it's Sunday. Uh, we found out about this yesterday. And this morning, you just thought, kiss an angel, good morning, Charlie. That's one of your favorites, I'm sure, too, Stephen, isn't it? Three of my favorites, kiss an angel, good morning. I'm going to love her on the radio, and it's going to take a little bit longer. That that's probably it. That would be certainly in the top three for sure. Well, as far as Texans postgame shows going forward, I don't know how much longer we could keep it up, but we're going to try. I think as long <laughs> as Deshaun is upright. Yeah, please stay upright, Deshaun, or we're going away. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Come on, Deshaun. We need to watch a little bit more exciting football before the year's out, but we're going to have Rockets and Astros conversation on Sundays as well. So we're going to maybe bring down the Texans conversation just a little bit. We'll say this to Deshaun, and we'll say this to all of you. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.